Our long holiday weekend is underway, and it is time for our weekly wine chat with Jack Farrell. Jack, good morning. I hope all is well. Everything is just fine. We're surviving this uh, just in a dandy way. But I was mindful, as I thought what we'd talk about today. I thought, you know, it's 100 years since they repealed Prohibition. And what a noble experiment failed badly was Prohibition. You know, it wasn't just started 100 years ago. They tried that in the 1880s. They had things called Maine laws because the state of Maine had Prohibition. And then Kansas was dry long before Prohibition. Prohibition was enacted in 1920, 100 years ago. And it was a great experiment, but it failed miserably. It lasted uh, about 13 years and it, it was a combination of things that brought it about. Uh, the suffragette movement combined with the WTCU, and the WTCO was the Women's Christian Temperance Union. And uh, also combined with that was uh, World War, the end of World War One. And what happened with the end of World War One was they were blaming the Germans for everything. And, of course, it's even in congressional record that uh, when they were talking about putting in prohibition, uh, it would take care of those Germans, Paps, Blatz, Budweiser, and Miller, uh, alluding to the beer families that control that. It's very interesting, you know, that during the prohibition itself, uh, it was a crime to manufacture, sell, or transport alcohol. It was never illegal to drink alcohol as our president at the time knew, FDR, had a couple drinks every night before dinner, even during the height of Prohibition, because he, like many wealthy families, had a very amply stocked cellar with uh, whatever their favorite spirits were. Uh, Plus, many states really didn't enforce uh, the regulations of Prohibition. For example, in New York City alone, just imagine this, there were over 30 thousand speakeasies in one city. Uh, today there aren't 30,000 bars in New York City. Uh, you could get alcohol in a drugstore. You'd get a pint of alcohol every 10 days. And incidentally, that's one of the reasons of prohibition. Walgreens grew from a couple stores to almost 500 by the end of prohibition because they were very well known for having a very good tonic, i.e. whiskey, that you could buy by the pint every 10 days. Uh, And, of course, the Depression is what really ended Prohibition. Uh, They looked at that tax revenue that they had lost. Uh, When Prohibition was enacted, the largest single source of revenue for the federal government was whiskey and liquor taxes. And they began it in 33, we're in the Depression, looking for ways, creative ways to raise money. Ah, why don't we uh, repeal this silly law? And they, most people did think it was silly because liquor consumption dropped very, very little during uh, the Depression and, and, uh, and Prohibition. You know, today we think about Prohibition and we think of the Roaring Twenties and all of that stuff. It really wasn't, wasn't quite as romantic as all of that. Um, it was so idealistic. I can remember reading stuff that they were going to turn bars into granaries. Uh, prisons would become churches. 
uh, and uh, you know the, the emotions involved in uh, bringing about prohibition. And incidentally, we have a great Minnesota connection. Vols- it's called the Volstead Act, and Volstead was a congressman from our own state here, Minnesota, and he was the author of the act. Uh, he wasn't really responsible uh, for the act itself. Uh, but he was just happened to be the sponsor for it. There were a lot of people willing to sponsor that. But uh, the the one of the things that let it get passed very easily was the difference between brewers and distillers. They f- were fighting with each other all the time and couldn't even agree on a common defense to overcome this movement uh, to to the drink. And as I said, it wasn't against the law to drink. You could drink at home. As a matter of fact, in Prohibition, you could make 200 gallons of wine for personal consumption uh, annually if you chose to do that. As I said, uh, it wasn't against the law to drink. It was against the law to manufacture, sell, or transport alcohol. Uh, people would go into those speakeasies, and they were a lot of fun. You'd drink a uh, your spirits out of coffee cups and that, and the police winked at most of them, occasionally raiding one, but usually, uh, in fact, when Winston Churchill traveled the United States during Prohibition, he said the easiest way to get liquor was to either contact a policeman or a politician, and they would steer you to the appropriate place of where you could get uh, whatever your favorite beverage was. And, of course, uh, bathtubs at that time were used for other things besides scrubbing yourself up. I'm sure everybody has heard of bathtub gin. And some of the bathtub gins were just deadly. Others, I'm told, weren't really too bad. Uh, Big overcoats and boots were very popular. Thus the term bootlayer, because you could hide in your boot a flagon of your favorite spirit and... uh, uh, Another thing that came about because of Prohibition was the springing up of crime. We had crime in this country, obviously, but it never was so united as it was during Prohibition. Names like Al Capone and Bugs Moran, Dutch Schiltz, were household names, and they became very, very rich. Uh, As a matter of fact, during that time, St. Paul was known for the fact that the St. Paul police were very lax. And you could come to St. Paul. It was called a free area. So rival gangs, etc., could go to St. Paul and enjoy themselves and not worried about getting all shot up uh, with rival gangs because St. Paul was a neutral area and they didn't enforce a lot of those regulations. Uh, it, you know, it wasn't hard to get a drink during Prohibition. Uh, if you were a 15-year-old and had the command of a quarter, you could get a drink. There was no regulatory environment at all. Uh, And that's, of course, kind of fun. I I often tell the story about Fritzy Haskell, who our business is named after, uh, used to deliver whiskey. She would take a baby carriage, one of those straw prams, and push it around Loring Park, and cars would line up on Loring Park around there, with chauffeurs, uh, with the owners going down to get a case tab put in the boot of their car of scotch or bourbon or whatever Fritzy happened to be uh, selling at that day. But you, I, the vision of her going around Loring Park with that pram full of scotch and bourbon 
is amazing, but that is an actual fact, and things like that went on. And as I said, the Depression is what really killed Prohibition because the government needed a new source of funds. And what happened, and this is very unfortunate, is we have a patchwork now of laws regulating the spirits industry in this country. Uh, it was mandated by uh, law that there be a three-tier system. In other words, you couldn't sell direct to anybody. The, the three-tier system is the manufacturer, the distributor, and the retailer. And you theoretically are not supposed to be in any other businesses if you're in one of them. In other words, if you are a retailer, you couldn't own a manufacturing plant that manufactured gin. If you were a wholesaler, you couldn't own retail operations. And the reason for that was many of the breweries at the time pre-prohibition owned big chains of uh, bars uh, like they do in, still do in England. Uh, the uh, brewers own all lots of chains of pubs. So anyhow, it, it was a long time in coming. It didn't last too long. I mean, in relative terms, 13 years is not a very long time. And uh, Hoover, who was a dry, drank, of course. And FDR was a wet and drank, of course. And uh, when he won the presidential election in 1932, the handwriting was on the wall for prohibition. It was about to be over. And because we have this current hangover of these different laws and regulations, it's a hassle, uh, for example, to buy a case of wine from a winery. And uh, that's because it's against the law in most places to do that. And it's the same thing with the distilleries selling spirits and all of that. You need a regulatory base for this kind of like, beverage alcohol, in my opinion. But some of them are kind of silly. We had, when I started out in the business in Minneapolis, what they called patrol limits. And that was as far as a patrolman could walk from City Hall. And that was the only area during those patrol limits that you could sell alcohol, both bars, both on sale and off sale, in the patrol limits. Uh, you know, forget the fact that they had cars and everything else, but it was a foot patrol limit, and that's what you, why today you have some counties around the country that are dry, uh, and that's silly. And we have what's very, very unusual in the United States are municipal stores. Uh, we're the only place in the all 50 states that have municipal stores where the community actually owns the liquor store and uses that revenue for things to benefit the community. And uh, that sets us apart from all the 50 other states. They don't have that. But uh, And right now there's riots in Philadelphia because they have shut down the liquor system, which is run by the state during this uh, current problem that we're having. But it, it it's kind of unfortunate that it's taken this da pandemic for people to reconsider these antiquated laws as they regard to sp wines, spirits, and beer. Because uh, today, wine, spirits, and beer are one of the luxuries that even all 49 states, the only state that didn't deem them a, a necessary thing during the current thing is the state of Pennsylvania. But other than that, 49 other states have deemed that having a drink helps everybody ease up a little bit in this terrible time that we're all 
experiencing. The good news is, of course, this too will pass and we'll get through it. And we at Haskell's, of course, have had 85 years of dealing with all sorts of things and a little longer, as I said, with our founder during Prohibition uh, was dispensing spirits and giving spiritual advice a long time ago. And today, one of the best places you can go to get wine and spirits is, of course, Haskell's. We have the largest selection of wine and spirits in the nation, and there's nobody that's close. And right now is a very good time because of the spring sale that we're having to pick up your favorite wine or spirits. And don't forget the folks at Haskell's love to pair food and wine. So if you're fixing a special dish and you don't know what to do or what to have with it as far as a glass of wine goes, call call the folks at Haskell's and they'll help you out right away. There's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. Haskell's in Bloomington, Excelsior, Faribault. There's a Haskell's in Maple Grove. It's a super seller up there. It's not to be missed. In downtown Minneapolis, there's free parking on Saturday and Sunday. Haskell's at Ridgedale, Plymouth, St. Paul's Highland Village, Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, Haskell's does deliver. And we have an easy access, if you wish, through the Internet to place an order. So, at any rate, aren't we all glad Prohibition is over? And yes. And we all be glad when this is all over. Yes, I am very glad. I I enjoy that. I I am a a big fan of a cold beer at the end of the day. So Nothing I'm glad for prohibition. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> well, Jack, always good to visit with you. I I enjoy our weekly wine chats. Thank and you. I do too. Look forward to talking to you next week. There he is, Jack Farrell, and our weekly wine chat brought to you by the good folks at Haskell's. 